at 17 years old, I, as I'm planning my life out, faith is in the back of my head, um, and I'm planning my own life. And then I got diagnosed with cancer. And during that time, all of that control and all of that planning that I had done for myself was out the window. And when that was finished, I was done with um, treatment and I was back out into the world and all of a sudden I was in control again. The worse it got and the harder things got and the more I struggled. I had kind of fallen away from church at that point um, just because it didn't fit with what I wanted and what I wanted to do. Um, for what I wanted to do, church was problematic. I met my husband in that time and that was another moment of like, you got to slow it down a little bit because this guy isn't going to stick around for any of your nonsense. And so that that was kind of another moment of like, you got to figure something out. And so I talked to my sister-in-law and I remembered this weird church in a middle school that at 18, 19 years old, um, I had gone to, and even in kind of my poor decision-making phase of life, um, I had felt okay there, and I asked my sister-in-law if she wanted to check out Crosswinds, and she said yes, and we started attending pretty much off the bat. It was every weekend, um, and there was just something that a little flame felt like it sparked, and so I signed up for Take Two to serve in preschool because I still wanted my break from my child, but... Um, I figured I should serve, try out serving somewhere. I'd never worked with kids before in my life. I was a coffee shop barista, um, and that's what I did. And I got in there, and I loved it. And I walked away from serving with more energy than I went in with. I never, ever, ever would have thought that I would be gifted working with kids, ever. I, like, if you had asked me 10 years ago if I was patient, caring, anything like that, I would have been like, no. And um, it turns out when you open yourself up to it, you there's a whole new world of possibilities. I am now director of the preschool at Crosswinds, and it all came from following what I knew I was supposed to be doing. Even though I grew up in the church and all that, my faith with service, treating it as a real tangible thing and not just knowledge, facts, rules, and regulations, I feel like um, I'm growing more now um, than I ever have before. And I'm more alive in it now than I ever was before. So that's my story. Now here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing as you watched that you thought, wow, they really edited hers down, didn't they? And, and here, here's why. Her story is so much bigger than that. Her, her, and by the way, she has a gift for words. Like lots of words and very fast. And, and she's just energy. And so we had to kind of get it down to a, a, a story. But I want to encourage you to, to meet her, especially if you have kids. you got to go meet Bethany because 
Her life is changing. She's growing in her faith. Um, she's trusting God like she never has before, and she'll be the first one to tell you. And if you ask her, you know, hey, how, how's your walk with Christ? She'll tell you what's going on. So let's take a moment to pray, and then we'll, we'll dig into tonight's topic. God, I, I love that story because I love Bethany. I love what you're doing in her heart and her life. I like how you give us, including Bethany, rope to, to, to walk away and to, to do things that are problematic to faith, and you never stop loving us. And you take the rope, and maybe you drag us back a little bit to you. And that's what you've done for her. And, and God, I pray that's what you do for all of us. In fact, I, I even pray for just a little shorter rope so I don't get so far away sometimes. I want a close walk with you. So God, as we look into your word tonight, we, we really want you to speak. And we want courage to listen. And maybe change. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so if you've been with us, you know that we, like I said, we're in this series called Changes. We're taking a look at what happened before the crucifixion of Jesus and how things changed after. And it was really a night and day difference, the before and the after. And what we told you is, hey, before, before Christ died and came back to life, there were a few followers. But afterwards, afterwards, there was this explosion of followers. We call it the birth of the church. It's in Acts chapter 2. We, we talked about how that happened. In fact, they, they pulled that off without any planning, without any organizational charts, without any job descriptions, without any um, understanding of how we're going to care for each other and how we're going to love each other, how are we going to make this work. We don't have a building. We don't have a budget. We don't have anything. And, and, but all these people turned to God for faith, and they trusted in Christ, and they formed the church, and then they spent the rest of Acts and they're, they're <laughs> trying to figure out how to organize because it was so messy. They, they had to come up with, oh, there's a problem. Let's come up with a solution. Oh, there's another problem. Come up with a solution. And we're still at it. You know, even at Crosswinds, we don't have everything figured out. We're, 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 we're always wrestling with something, trying to figure things out together. But that's what happened. That was the power of the, of the cross, the night and day difference, this incredible growth. And then last night, or last week, um, Doug talked about, about fear. He talked about how the disciples before the resurrection, if you read through the Gospels, they were always fear-driven. Oh, the waves are so big. Oh, where's Jesus? Oh, he's asleep in the boat. And, and um, oh, Jesus has just died, and they run away, and they don't know what to do. And they, they didn't have it figured out. They weren't men of great courage until afterwards, after they'd been coached by Jesus and the Holy Spirit came, and all of a sudden they have inexplicable courage to guide them. In fact, they were so courageous that they were true to the faith all the way to their deaths, all of, all of them except for one, and it's not that he wasn't willing, it's just that he got sent to an island to die of old age instead, because that's what, what they did to him, right? So there's this night and day difference, and, and today I want to talk about there's this shift of life focus that they had. There was something, it wasn't just what they did or what they believed, but there was a, a focus difference about their lives. And I'm not going to show you the chapter verses, let me just tell you this. Before, you go read your Bibles, because it's such a cool story. Before, the disciples on the road... Separated from Jesus, I'm absolutely sure, thinking he's out of hearing distance, are talking to each other, and they're arguing about who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> Can you believe it? Right? They're, they're thinking, hey, when Jesus is king, who's going to be, I'm going to be the greatest. No, you're going you know, to, so they're arguing about who gets that position. Very human stuff. That's their perspective. They're thinking about their own lives and what they're going to do with it. And afterwards, everything changes. 
And instead of worrying about their position, they become these, these, these servants. So this message is called From Now Till Then. And that's really a reference to, to our lives. For them it was, okay, now that Jesus, what are we going to do with the rest of our lives? And, and all of us have the rest of our lives to deal with. So this is what I think changed for them, why they could change their perspective. There was a reality to eternity that allowed them to give up this life. Right? When you see a guy die, and he's dead and gone and buried, and he comes back and he spends 40 days with you off and on during the 40-day period, and then you see him ascend into heaven, if you could see all that, would you have any doubt about eternal life? Would you have any, I wonder if heaven's real. No, you just, you just saw Jesus in the flesh. You saw him alive again in his glorified body, right? And so there's this, this moment where they're all going, all doubt is, I'm so jealous of the disciples sometimes, aren't you? Because they got, they got to see that. And that's one of the reasons I think Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Right, which, is, which is reference to us. So this life is what we're talking about. When we say from now until then, we're saying, what are we going to do with this life? And the disciples, they gave it up. This life, by the way, just those two words, it's a biblical concept. If you Google it, you can read verse after verse after verse where it says, hey, this life, in those two exact, exact words. And when Jesus talked about it, it was usually with sort of a tone of concern. And so I'm going to show you a couple passages. We're going to start with Matthew 13. This is a place where Jesus brings up this life. It's kind of hidden in the text. You've got to kind of pay attention. Matthew 13 is the parable of the seeds and the soil, or the parable of the sower. Depending on how you remember, if you went to Sunday school, you probably remember it. It's, it's a nice one for pictures and stuff, very tangible. Uh, nice flannel board lesson if you're old enough to remember what a flannel board is. So, so Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. Let's just read them together. It says, later that same day, Jesus left the house that he was at, and he sat beside the lake, right? So, um, so he was at Galilee, right? A large crowd soon gathered around him, and he got into a boat, and he sat there, and he taught as people stood on the shore. It's like a natural amphitheater. Sound carries over water. If you're a Minnesotan, you should know that. If you're not, you need to get out more, okay? So verse 3, he told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. So a parable, by the way, just so we're all on the same page, it's a story with a point, usually one major point he's trying to make. So he tells the stories, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Now, the crowd he's talking to, he, that's normal for them. We don't think that. We think, I mean, how many of you thought hey, I hope the fields are dry enough because those farmers got to get out there. They're going to be out all night long with their lights out in the fields for this next week trying to get it done because it's supposed to be optimal growth. We got perfect soil here and they need to get it in. They don't scatter the seed. Nothing's hitting a bad path. They're, they're putting each seed in the ground, right? In this culture, they'd go out into their field not really well prepared and they just scatter the seed. And some of it apparently would fall on a footpath and then the birds would come and eat it. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock the seeds would sprout quickly or sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun. Since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. And it always makes me think at this point, these aren't very good farmers. You know, why did, but it was, it, for us, we would think that, but it's a cultural issue. It's a different kind of farming, a different time. So the, the thorns would choke out the tender plants, and still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times as much 
as had been planted. Right? So worth it. Worth it. Look at the, look what, say, yeah, some, we lose some, but look how much the other ones produce. And then Jesus said this. He said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Right? And everybody's feeling their ears. I, I heard it. But guess what? He gave that whole story, and no one understood it. I mean, they understood it at the surface of the, yeah, that's what farmers do. Jesus, there's nothing really deep here. We've seen this before. We know what you're talking about. We know all four kinds of, we know that's what it is to be, bummer to be a farmer. You waste three quarters of your energy with plants that aren't going to do anything. Seeds that don't take root. But Jesus took the disciples aside later on. He goes, guys, can I explain it to you? Just so you understand what I was trying to say. Okay, we want to hear, right? So here's what he said. He said, now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell in the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. Right? So what he's, he's saying is, hey, some people are going to hear it, but they're not going to understand it. They're going to live in this ignorance, and, and, and they're not going to hold on to it, the message of God for their lives. They're going to come, they're going to hear it, and then they're going to go out, and then it's going to disappear from their memories. They won't even remember it. They'll just be in this, this state of ignorance. Right? He goes on, he says, The seed in the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. Right? Oh, this is awesome. This is great. I love this place. I love this church. I love the message. But since they don't have deep roots, they never grow. In Christ's love, we talked about a whole series on deep roots. They don't last long. Right? They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Or I would like to say, as soon as they find out, especially churches that teach that everything in your life will be great if you just follow Jesus, as soon as they find out it's not all great when you start following Jesus, which is the truth, it's not going to all be great, they fall away because they've been told, they told it was going to be awesome and wonderful all the time. Right? But Jesus said, look, you're gonna, it's going to be hard. There's going to be persecution. There's going to be problems following me, following this good news. So those people, they fall away as soon as it gets uncomfortable. And, and they don't have the roots for it. Right? The seed that fell among the thorns represent those who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. This life, this fleshly, earthly life. This life on earth, right? The, but the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced, right? You know what he's saying? He's saying, hey, there's, there's concerns and there's lures, worries and attractions, you know, that go along with this life. So pause for a moment. I want you to think about what's a worry you have? You don't have to share with anybody. Just try to identify one. What's something that come? How many go, that was so easy? That was so easy to come up with a worry. Come on, raise your hands. All right. How many go, I, that was challenging for me. I don't really, I'm not a worrier. I'm going to get a couple of you. All right. How about lures? Right? What attractions do you have? He specifically mentions wealth, but aren't there more? Aren't there a lot of attractions that can take our attention away and we start to worry about the things of this life? Finally, he goes on, he says, the seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear God's, hear and understand God's word. It produces a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. And I think what that is saying is, when it takes root and grows, God uses 
the person for his kingdom to produce. You know, and it's not just we all become evangelists and spread the seed. It's that we just serve God, and God uses us as part of his plan in any way, shape, or form that he wants to. Now, the interesting thing is Luke told the same parable. He recorded the same thing in Luke chapter 8. So we're just going to look at the verse about the rocky soil, um, verse 14. The, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and riches and pleasures. Right? The attractions, the worries, the lures of this life. And so they never, they never grow into maturity. They might stay in the field and you go, ah, there's a plant that's kind of crowded out by those other things. There it is over there. But they never grow up. They never, they never bear fruit. Right? So the main thing I want you to catch is Jesus is concerned. He's concerned about the effect that this life will have on our faith. And he's kind of warning people about it. He says, this life is from now to then, between now and heaven. Now, just for a moment, think about the disciples arguing about who's going to be the greatest, right, on the road. Were they worried about, you know, the future in heaven? Or were they worried about this life? And what was it that was attracting them? Wasn't it a desire to be seen as great? I want to be at Jesus' right hand. I want to be the number one guy. It, it wasn't a servant spirit that was driving it. It was the attractions of this light, but it was put into sort of a religious culture, context. right? Just because we go to church doesn't mean we don't live with the attractions of this life. The lures aren't appealing to us. People even do it spiritually. I want to be this guy. I want to I be the one who's recognized. I want to be on this stage. I want to be the lead singer. I, and I know some of you are like, anything but on stage. Nothing ever on stage. I get it. Um, but that's this life. We're attracted to things. This life is my, my life on earth. This life is your life on earth. Right? So can I just tell you some things about my life, how I view it? Number one, and I don't know if everybody's going to agree with this, I'm an emotionally, mentally healthy person, so I can tell you I love my life. I mean, as far as I know, I'm emotionally, psychologically sound. Anyway, but I love my life. I've, I've met a few people who don't like their life, I've seen posts on Facebook that say other things about their life completely that I can't, I think it's disrespectful to God to put those kinds of things on Facebook when it's my life is horrible kind of concepts, actually. But I really love my life. Now, that's partly because I'm not a depressed person. I'm generally kind of an upbeat person, right? I love my life. I view it as a gift. Basically, I think every breath, every heartbeat, Every moment of the day when I have my head on straight, I get up and I get to live in my house and I'm married and I've got kids and I have relationships. I've got you guys. i got a good job. I got Life is good. I, mean, it, I, I think it's a gift. I think my life, I think my very, I love the song, by the way, New Year's Day. It starts off with that, from the, you gave me my very first breath. What does that mean? It's a, it's a gift. From God. Right? So I love my life because I recognize it's a gift. I treasure it. I value it. I do not treat it poorly. Because with a gift comes responsibility. I want to I take care of my life. I think God gave it to me. I don't think it's mine. I think God gave it to me. So I want to treat it right. Let me show you something else I think about my life. I realize it's very short. 
when you look at that hand, <laughs> you remember when your hand looked like that? Right, that little one, not the older one, right? The, the little one, right? Do you remember when your hand looked like, look at the fingernails, by the way. I just thought that was awesome. Kid hasn't cleaned his fingernails for weeks, right? That young hand, that young hand has no idea how fast his hand will look like his grandma's hand underneath it. It, it's, it's impossible. When you're 12 years old, you don't think, wow, I'll be 20 tomorrow, and I'll be 30 and 40, pretty soon I'm gone. You know, is that, you don't think that way, you, but it's true. It goes, it goes by so quickly. I love the picture because it just means that happens in just a few heartbeats. That happens with just a little bit of time. My life is a gift, right? And I love my life, but I realize it's incredible. It's incredibly fragile. I don't know how long it will last. And even if it lasts, what we think of as a long time, it's not a long time. It's a short time. I also think this about my life. It's incredibly valuable. Right? I couldn't, what, what do you put up this valuable? By the way, do you know why gold is valuable? Why is gold valuable? Because it's pretty? Because it's rare. Because there's not a lot of it. Right? Anything that we don't have much of that has use um, is valuable, even if it's aesthetic use, which was kind of gold's original use. I know it's used in other ways now, but before it was just pretty, but it was rare. So it's incredibly valuable. And that's the same thing with my life, right? We just talked about that, that, that it's short. And the briefness of life makes every single day incredibly valuable. I tell you all that, sum it up with this, I love my life. I love my life. And I think that's kind of a human condition. You don't have to be a Christian to love your life, right? By the way, I'm not going to do a hand raise. I hope you do too. I hope you view it all the ways that that I view it. right? So I came across this this quote by George Clooney. It says this, I don't believe in heaven and hell. I don't know if I believe in a God. All I know that as an individual, I won't allow this life the only thing I know to exist, go excuse me, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. Got to make sure you pause at the right time when you're reading things. Right? I won't allow this life, the only thing I know to exist, to be wasted. Doesn't necessarily believe in God. In fact, I think he's kind of stronger about it than that. He doesn't believe in God. He doesn't believe in eternity, heaven or hell. Right? But he knows one thing. He doesn't want to waste his life. Now, if I was to sit across the board from him, I would say, George, I just want to tell you the honest truth. You are in danger of wasting your entire life. Because if God is real and God gave you this life as a gift, and you don't figure that out, when you get to the end, you're going to be a place of deep regret. Don't, Don't waste it. But I think it's kind of a human condition. If, if, we're, if, we're, if we're healthy mentally and emotionally, we savor life. We don't want to waste our lives. The problem is we don't know what to chase and what to pursue and, and what wasting actually is. Right? So Paul talks more about this life to the Philippians. And he talks about it in terms of, in terms of faith and how we can make the most of this life. Here's what he says. So dear brothers, This is Philippians 3. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine. I know that sounds arrogant, but he's trying to set examples, all he's saying. 
and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ, and they're headed for destruction. So he's in the church, right, this church of Philippi, and he said, hey, this is tough. Not everybody in the room is following Jesus. There's some who are kind of pretending. They're not even, in fact, they're not friends of Jesus. They're enemies of the cross. They're enemies of the, of the message. Right? He goes, and this is how you recognize it. He says, their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things. And they think only about this life here on earth. Right? Their focus is only on. Their worries, their thoughts always go to the, this life. They're, 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 the lures they, they face, the attractions are always about this life. And I was thinking about, what would that look like? You know, and, I, and I thought, you know, I think it would look like someone grabbing onto life and going, I'm going to get, I think George does this, I'm going to get the most out of it. I'm going to hold on really tight to my life and I'm going to squeeze it and I'm going to get everything I can out of life. By the way, that's me. I want everything I can get out of this life. I want to squeeze it. I want to, get, I want to go down to the marrow. I want to suck the marrow out of life. I want to get the joy out of life. I want to get the love out of life. I want to get everything I can out of this. Because guess what? I've only got one. My one and only life. That can work for me and, and, and against me. But I think that's what he's saying is these people, but they're only focused on this life as they're just in this grip and twisting and trying to get everything out of it. But, he's, but he talks about, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, <laughs> he says this, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. We're citizens of heaven. we got 35 people going to Israel this uh, coming fall, November. I think they're all American citizens. I haven't checked, but I think they're all, they are. Do you know day to day, none of them think about being an American citizen? Right? Because why? Because they're in America. You don't have to think about it all the time. I promise you, when they get off that plane and they hand their passport over for the next 14 days, they are going to think every single day, I am an American citizen. They're going to realize that everything they think about, how they look at life and how they interact with other people, I'm an American citizen. I'm looking at this completely different than other people as I travel. There's nothing like not being in your own country to remind you that you are in someone else's country and that you're an American Right? And you, you, in some countries, that's good news. In some countries, you want to use my Canadian passport because I got two, right? So you can switch back and I don't, but I could. I don't. We're citizens of heaven. How often do, you, how often do we think about that? Because that's what Paul is saying. Hey, this life is for citizens of not heaven. But you are in a foreign world, in a foreign land, every single day, every single moment. If you want to live this life, if you want to serve for God in this life, you've got to remember where you belong, where your citizenship. We are citizens of heaven, where the Lord, our, our Lord lives, where he is right now. And we're eagerly awaiting. We're just on a little tourist trip here, this world. And we're waiting for him to return as our Savior and take us back to our home. He will... He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. Now, Paul saw Jesus. He has the same advantage as the disciples had. He had no doubt because he saw the risen Lord. He had no doubt about, about the future. We probably wrestle with that a little bit sometimes. I do. Right? 
But there needs to be a, a, a mind change because someday we're going to have glorious bodies like his own and Jesus is going to use the same power, the resurrection power, with which he will bring everything under his control. So there's this, from now till then, and it's a very simple message tonight. It's just this. Are you ready to surrender from now till then? You know, I, I know we put emphasis on repent and turn to God and get saved and have your sins forgiven, and that's all really good. I want this wonderful relationship with Jesus. That's awesome. But what about your life? Have you, have you put it down and said, I'm a citizen of heaven. I want to live like a citizen of heaven. And i got to tell you that for me, I, it's challenging. I'm not saying this is easy. I've... I, I get the lures of life. I get the worries of life. This life is real to me. I love this life. That's a problem for me as well as maybe a God-honoring thing. It's tension. Right? But how am I going to do it? And I think for me, there's a couple things. One is I have to remember there's more. I think of my life as being a rare commodity, a very, it's diminishing returns. It's getting shorter and shorter every day. <laughs> there was a lot more value to my life when I was 11 than there is now. Right? Because I'm getting old. There's not much left. Right? So, so, but I have to remember there's more. This life is short, but eternity is long, and I'm still alive. I'm a citizen of heaven. And I have to remember to hold tight to God and loosely to my life. To cling to God and to let go of my life. So I need a couple of volunteers. I'm going to show you what, what most of us think. Um, can I get two people just to, and I don't, I never set these up ahead of time, so we get what we get. There's one. Can I get somebody bigger? It's, um, <laughs> come on up here. One more. You can be smaller. There's two. Not much smaller. Man. I better not mess this up. <laughs> okay, so here, here's, here's what I want to do. First of all, at your feet. We might make a mess, so let it fall on the tray, okay? So that's what we're doing here. All right. So I'm not even sure you can get those mitts into here. Let's use yours. Okay, wait, 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 wait. You just grab it. Okay, so this is sand. Pretty common, not worth much, all right? But, but pretend it's life, right? I think what we do default is we reach in and we grab as much as we can, put it over the top, and we hold it as tightly as we can because it's our life. We grab both fists. We use the other hand too. Get as much as we can. Okay. Good. All right. Now, just keep holding it tight. Not bad. Not a lot of spillage. Okay. Hold your hands out like this. <laughs> now, other than the sides of the abnormally sized hands, other than that issue, <laughs> pretend these are normal. Pretend they're exact same size. <laughs> okay? Yeah. All right. Good. Which one will give more sand? Reaching in and grabbing? or allowing someone to fill your hands up with life? Right? Which, which one? Every single time, right? And, and I think that's me. That's me with my life. I want to get the most out of it, and my natural thing is to grip tighter, hold on to my life because it's so valuable. Okay, I've got about 15 more minutes. Just stay there. <laughs> you can put it down. That's fine. You want to put it in here? Let's see how good you are. 
Unbelievable. All right, big hand for the big guys. It takes incredible surrender to go like this, God. God, my life belongs to you. Anything, everything, would you fill it? Would you fill my life with life? Right? I have a friend whose name is not Dave. But Dave is going to be leaving soon to go to Mosul in northern Iraq. This is a city that's been taken over by ISIS, right? And they've won back about half of it. It's an east-west kind of city. There's still battles being fought every day in the city. But lots of people, Muslims, are getting hurt and injured, and Dave has medical skills. And so he, he signed up with, to, to serve at a, a Christian hospital just outside of the city, just miles away from, and they're bringing out wounded person after wounded person. He's going there to serve for three weeks. So this is this. Is this. My life belongs to you, God. Anyway, he told his parents that he's going. And they wrote back, and you'll kind of get the, the tone of it, what they wrote back. And then he wrote them again. Here's what he wrote back. He said, Dear Mom and Dad, thank you again for your love and support. I initially said no to this opportunity, that I didn't have the time. And to myself, that I would already worked enough, excuse me, I had already had enough work in hell holes for one lifetime. This isn't his first rodeo, right? Then I realized that I had set aside these three weeks right when their need in Mosul is the greatest at this hospital. I promised I would send recommendations for someone else who could go. The problem is that my list of qualified people who are Christians and who are able and willing to work in this place on short notice only included one name, and it was very familiar. So I prayed. And I'm the last person in this world to ever claim to hear the voice of God. Still, though, as I was mouthing the question about whether I should go, the voice I heard in my head simply and sarcastically said, Duh. I don't know if God has the personality of a 20-year-old boy. But if so, his point was made. One thing I know is that it is a regretful and pathetic man or woman who fails to go when called to do the thing that God has made him for. You know what he gets? He, he gets how to let it go. He gets how to hold his life loosely. He understands that this life, if you cling to it, you'll lose it. But if you hold it out before God, he'll fill your hands up. And that is not about how long you live. It is about how full you live. He goes on, he says, thank you, Mom and Dad, for your love and prayers. Please pray that I am effective. Only pray that I am effective. God will take care of security. Love your son. He didn't write your son. He wrote his name, right? But I'm humbled. You're going to hear more about this story when we get past it, when he's allowed to speak freely about it. He can't do that quite yet. But he understands that, that this life reaction is to hold it and grab it and clinch it and squeeze it and try to get everything out of it. And he's learned just to say, God, fill my hands. 
I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do what you want me to do. I don't want to be, I don't want to be lured, and I don't want to live my life worrying about things that you're going to take care of. Here's what Jesus told his disciples, John 12, 25. Anyone who loves their life, this life, will lose it. And anyone who, and he said, hates their life in this world. And I think that's, I think that's exaggeration. He's just making it clear. You cannot worship your own life. Who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Why is he telling his disciples that? He doesn't want them to miss out. He doesn't want them to miss out, and I don't want us to miss out either. So for me, my to-do from this message, and this is, you can do what you want to do, but this is my to-do. I need to remember that there's more. This life is not a disappearing commodity. I think too much about how short life is. It's depressing. Right? And I need to hold tight to God and loosely to my life. I need to remember my citizenship. I'm only visiting here. I'm only here on a little work project. And someday I get to go home. So let's pray. God, I don't want to put words in people's mouths tonight. So I'm just going to be quiet for a moment and let, let them talk to you and you talk to them. God, I give you thanks for the invitation that I received a long time ago to switch citizenship from this world to your, to, to, to heaven, to you. To switch leaders from me to you. To allow your work in that cross to change my future. And God, I know I want to get everything out of life and I do. I want to squeeze it and twist it. And... But even more, I want to learn to hold tightly to you and loosely to life. God, thanks for your word and for what it teaches and the life that it offers. In Christ's name, amen.